no one in himself may seek God, but with the conviction of the spirit, the conviction of creation, the conviction of the word of God, the power of the gospel, the power of the cross. And that is something that's going on in every life around the world. Welcome to Voice of Assurance with Pastor Tom Kakuza, the founder and senior pastor of Northland Bible Baptist Church in St. Cloud, Minnesota. This weekly radio program is devoted to giving you, the listener, a better understanding of the Word of God and how it applies to your life. And now, to introduce the message, here's Pastor Kakuza. Well, good to have you with us today, dear friends, on Voice of Assurance, and happy birthday, America, as this is July 4th as we celebrate our nation, and uh, we still do live in the greatest country in the history of the world, the United States of America. We need to be praying for our nation, pray for our president as well, pray that if he's never trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior, that he would put his faith in Jesus Christ alone as Savior as well as everybody in Congress, right? And in our state. God has given us his truth and he wants us to go by his truth and that will produce and maintain freedom. Well, today we're starting a new series and I've entitled it Trojan Horses in the Church Today. This is a series having to do with what I call contemporary theology, things that are really destructive in the church. Now, We're going to be covering some things that are really quite controversial during this series, but if you stay with me, I think you will understand the importance of what we're covering. These are very up-to-date issues. These are issues that are really, really affecting and hurting the body of Christ today. And today we are looking at the first one, and it is something by the name of Calvinism. We'll explain it as we go through this. I'm glad you're with me. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles over to 1 Timothy 4. I want you to open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. As we are starting a new series today, Trojan Horses in the Church Today. Now, to be honest with you, what we are covering today and also next week are linked. In a sense, they're separate topics, but in another sense, it's like almost like a part one and two. Too much information to cover in one service. So we're breaking it down separately, and yet at the same time, they're certainly related. And you'll see that, by the way, as we go through. Trojan horses in the church today. You might say, what in the world are we talking about? Well, during the time of the Trojan War, According to one source, the Greeks tried for over 10 years to conquer the ancient city of Troy and the Trojan people. They finally succeeded thanks to a devious bit of trickery and deceit. The Greeks, under the guidance of Odysseus, built a huge wooden horse. The horse was the symbol of the city of Troy, and they left it at the gates of Troy. They then pretended to sail away. The Trojans believed the huge wooden horse was a peace offering to their gods and thus a symbol of their victory after the long siege. They pulled the giant horse into the middle of the city. However, they didn't realize that the Greeks had hidden a select group of soldiers inside the horse. That night after the Trojans had gone to bed, the Greek soldiers inside the horse were able to get out and open the gates of the city to let the remainder of the Greek army, which had sailed back under the cover of night, 
Taking the Trojans by surprise in the middle of the night, the Greeks were able to finally conquer Troy. Hence, we have the term today, a Trojan horse. A Trojan horse. Well, today the term Trojan horse is still used to refer to any kind of deception or trickery that is introduced unknown into a place where it can cause damage and destruction. There are Trojan horses in the body of Christ today, and we're going to talk about some of them during this series. During this time, these are issues that have down through history, and uh, certainly not only in times past, but also in the days in which we live. These are issues that have come into the church that have been embraced by the body of Christ, by local churches, by seminaries and Bible colleges. But the problem is they have caused and are causing increased damage to the body of Christ. Let me say this, it is not my intent in this series to badmouth individuals, but to expose the error in false teaching. Okay, I have nothing personal. There will be some naming of some folks as we go through, simply because of I'm quoting their material. I have nothing personal, no vendetta against anyone during this series. It's just the error that we have to expose and show how dangerous it is and why it's a problem. First Timothy chapter four and verse one says this, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, and we're living there, some shall depart from the faith. The faith is what the Word of God clearly teaches. Giving heed to, not clowns, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, doctrines of demons. Now if you don't already realize this, you know Satan is a master counterfeiter. Satan is the master of deceit. He's the father of lies. Jesus said that about him. He works in trickery. He works in deceit. He tries to trick people. He gives them certain amounts of truth to be swallowed along with that which is not true. Look at verse two. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. Look at that. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. In other words, what they say is not only false, but it's hypocritical to say it. Because the truth of it is they can't really fulfill what they're saying. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now, obviously, that's not the only example. That was an example at the time, but it's not the only example. There are many Trojan horses that have come into the church today. These are destructive teachings, movements, trends, and practices that are going on. They look friendly. They look friendly and seem to have some truth in them, but they are destructive. And that is the problem. That is what, in my mind, classifies them as a Trojan horse. They look good. Oh, this is a good thing. Let's embrace this. And you don't know what you're embracing until later on when you see the destruction that it's causing. We are going to be looking at some of them in the next few weeks. The first one we're going to start with today is is what's called Calvinism. 
Calvinism. Now you need to understand this, okay? Maybe you come today with the mindset of, hey, I'm just kind of here just to be encouraged. I'm looking for a pastor who's a life coach and everything's gonna be good and you're good and, and all these things. That's not what this series is about. This series is very serious about destructive trends that are being taught in churches, on Christian radio, in study Bibles and commentaries, on the internet, you name it. And it's a very important one. Calvinism, I'm surprised how few people even know what Calvinism is. Calvinism is named after John Calvin. Calvinism is growing today, leaps and bounds. I consider it a global theological pandemic. There are many proponents of it and their numbers are growing daily. Some of the more popular Calvinist teachers out there today, John MacArthur, incredibly popular. John Piper, Paul Washer, R.C. Sproul, he's gone now, he passed away, and many, many others. John MacArthur is extremely popular and is a major influence through his study Bible, through his internet ministry, through his radio ministry, his commentaries, you name it. He's incredibly popular. And what makes John MacArthur so incredibly popular is there's some things he touches on and speaks about and addresses that all of us would say, amen, yes, I agree with that. That's good. See, that's what makes it a Trojan horse. There's good, but there's also some things that are destructive in the teaching. Now, what is Calvinism? Calvinism defined, let's look at this. Simply put, it is a theological viewpoint wrapped up in something called the TULIP. Boy, that sounds pretty harmless, doesn't it? This is an acronym. It is a man-made philosophy, though, folks, that is contradictory to Scripture. It is built on the classic error of interpreting clear passages of Scripture by unclear passages of Scripture. That is a violation of the ABCs of Bible interpretation. One of the most basic ones, rules of interpretation, is you interpret unclear passages by clear ones. Not the other way around, but Calvinism is built on the idea of interpreting clear, simple passages by unclear ones. Therefore, if you start with the unclear and you start with a false idea, then you start looking at the clear verses and you start saying, well, it doesn't really mean what it says. We'll talk more about that as we go through. Let's break down this issue of TULIP. And let me just get, we're not gonna spend a huge amount of time on them. I'm just giving you information to where you understand what this is about. Let me say in the front end, I disagree with all five points of Calvinism. I have friends who'll say, well, I'm not a five point, I'm a two point, I'm a three point. Some say, I'm a four point, I'm a no point. Okay, I'm a no point, and you'll understand why as we go through. Number one, they believe in what's called total depravity, that's the T. In other words, man is spiritually dead. Now that's true, man is spiritually dead. He comes into the world spiritually dead. But right away, here's where they go off. And therefore has no ability to make the right choice because he's dead. This is false. They'll say, well, a lost man can't make a right choice, can't make a good choice when it comes to the things of God, okay? Well, friend, let me say, if he can't make the right choice, if he's dead by that definition, which what they're saying is he's just a blob. He's basically a blob. 
Now, if you can't make the right choice, if that's how you define it to where you don't have the ability to make the right choice, then you don't have the ability to make the wrong one either. If you're dead non-responsive and you're just a blob, you can't make either choice by that definition. But that's not what the Bible means by spiritually dead. Spiritually dead means spiritually separated from God. It doesn't mean you can't make a right choice. It doesn't mean a lost person, when they hear the word of God preached and they hear how awful hell is and that people without Christ are gonna go there, that a person can't make a decision and say, well, you know what? That doesn't sound like a place I wanna spend forever. If Jesus has paid my sin debt and he's offering me salvation as a gift, I'm gonna take it. Calvinists say, no, no, no. It doesn't work that way. You can't do that. You can't do that. God has to choose you and work in you to where you can do that. See, the Calvinists like to say, well, no man seeks God. It says that in Romans 3. Well, you know what? That's true, but it also says, as we're going to see, everyone is being drawn to the Lord. So no one in himself may seek God, but with the conviction of the spirit, the conviction of creation, the conviction of the word of God, the power of the gospel, the power of the cross. And that is something that's going on in every life around the world. That's what the Bible says anyway. Death means separation, but everyone is being drawn to Christ. Look with me to John 12, verse 32. This is what Jesus said. Now, see, here's what we have to decide as we go through this series, folks. Are we going to believe what the Bible says or are we going to believe what someone else says simply because they're incredibly popular and maybe a gifted communicator? I would rather believe God, wouldn't you? John 12, 32, Jesus said this, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to me. But this is what Jesus said. Are you, do, you, do you believe, let me ask you this, do you believe John 12, 32? If you believe John 12, 32, you might as well throw Calvinism out the window because that contradicts Calvinism, John 12, 32. All men are being drawn, not just some. The second one, unconditional election. This is very important, and we are gonna spend a lot of time on this a little further in the message. Unconditional election. God, here's what that means. God chooses you to be saved. And therefore, you will be saved based on nothing more than God's choice for you. You might say, how does that work? Keep listening. I'll show you what they've put together as far as how they figure this out. Okay? They say this. He does this through regenerating you. Now, listen carefully. Let me say it again. God chooses you to be saved, and therefore, you will be saved based on nothing more than his choice. They say he does this through regenerating you, making you spiritually alive so that you can believe. Do you see the problem in that? In other words, you are born again before you believe because regeneration is being born again. So they say you have to be regenerated before you can believe. You have to be made alive before you can believe. This is clearly backwards, And let me go further. That is an accursed message. That is an accursed gospel because the Bible says the only response to being saved is faith in Christ. That's the only response. And the Bible says when you believe, you're regenerated. You're not regenerated before you believe. 
Jesus talked to Nicodemus about how to be born again. Do you remember it in John 3? Turn there with me. Jesus talked to Nicodemus about it and then told him how to be born again. This is important. Jesus didn't say, Nicodemus, I'm going to tell you about the new birth and then you're going to get the new birth and then you'll believe. No. He tells him about the new birth. He tells him about the necessity of being born again and then he tells him how to be born again. Faith brings the new birth. Faith in Christ brings regeneration. Not regeneration and then faith in Christ. Regeneration and then faith in Christ is heresy. It is a false teaching of scripture. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He didn't say unless a man is regenerated so that you can believe, then you'll see the kingdom. No, he said, you have to be born again. You might say, well, isn't he saying you have to be regenerated? Yes, but he didn't say how until down to verse 15 and 16. And verse 16 says, and you know it well, for God so loved the world. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting Life. Having everlasting life and being regenerated are linked together. And you don't get everlasting life until you believe in Christ. So believing comes before regeneration. Titus 3 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, okay? When are you washed through regeneration? When you put your faith in in Christ as your savior. So I reject total depravity by their definition and I reject unconditional election. Now remember that idea again, you have nothing to do with it. God looks down through the ages of humanity, everybody who would be conceived, and he says, okay, I pick that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, and that one to go to heaven. That's unconditional election. What about the rest? Oh, that's where we're going. Number three, this one, I am amazed that anybody could believe it. Limited atonement, that's the L. Limited atonement. This is the teaching that Jesus only died for the sins of the elect or the ones that God chose to be saved. Jesus only died for the sins of the elect. He did not die for the sins of the whole world. He only died for the sins of those who would be saved. Now, what does the Bible say? This is so clear biblically, I'm almost embarrassed to share it, but we will. Look with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. I love this because the distinction is so clearly made. It says, and he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. John is writing to believers in 1 John. Look at this. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means the satisfactory payment. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, how in the world do you get limited atonement out of that? He's the satisfactory payment for the sins of the whole world, and also within that, the sins of the believer or believers. Let's move on. Irresistible grace, the I in the word tulip, irresistible grace. What is it saying? That God's grace cannot be rejected by someone God has chosen to be saved. 
So God simply by his decree decides who will be saved and then it goes from there. And the ones who are going to be saved, God bestows on them or gives them or imparts to them irresistible grace and they cannot reject it. They will respond to it favorably because God chose them to go to heaven. It's not their choice, although the Calvinists say, oh no, man has a part in choosing. No, he doesn't if God bestows irresistible grace to you. You don't have a choice if it's irresistible. You can't resist it. Yet what does the Bible say? Just for lack of time, I'll give you one that came to my mind this morning that you don't have down on your sheet, but Acts 7.51, Stephen is talking to the religious teachers of his day and he says, you do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Now listen, if it's irresistible grace, you wouldn't be able to resist it. And if according to Calvinism, you're not one of the chosen, there would be nothing to resist because you wouldn't have a chance anyway. John chapter five and verse 40, Jesus said this, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Notice whose responsibility it is. It isn't God choosing people through irresistible grace and unconditional election that they're saved. No, it is that you won't come to me. And if you came to me, what is he saying? I give you life, but you won't come to me. That sounds to me like man has a choice in the matter. This is one of my favorites. Turn with me to Matthew 23. You know, there will be people who will see this and they'll say things like, well, who are you? Who are you? You're not as popular as this preacher, that preacher, or this guy. This guy's done more than you and all these kind of things. All of that means zero. Zero. What matters is what the Bible says. By the way, this is one of the constants during this series. Matthew 23 37, the heart of Jesus here. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, watch this, how often I would have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. We see the will of God is to gather, and we see the resistance of man to refuse it. That's free will. That contradicts irresistible grace. Contradicts it. Let's move on to the last letter, the P in the word tulip. Perseverance of the saints. And this one carries over into next week. This is saying, here you go, this is saying that all who are truly born again will serve Christ faithfully with their lives. If you don't, you were never saved to begin with because all believers persevere and serve the Lord. The question has to be asked, how faithful do you have to be as far as serving the Lord with your life? How long do you have to be faithful? How much sin proves you were never saved to begin with? How much obedience proves you were saved? These are legitimate questions. The answer of the Calvinists is this, it's a mystery. See folks, here's the truth of it. The teaching, the false teaching of the perseverance of the saints 
undermines any possibility of the assurance of salvation. I am preaching to you today and I have a broken heart. You have no idea of the emails I get from people who have been besides themselves and they're either looking for some, where can I get assurance? And you find out they're going to a Lordship Salvation Church, which is a perseverance of the saints church because the two are the same. I'm getting ahead of myself in the series here which is Calvinistic, or they're going to a Calvinistic church and they don't have the assurance of salvation. Sometimes they feel like they have it because they're doing well, and other times they wonder whether they're saved because they're not doing well, and it's all based on their performance, and it's not based on what Jesus did on the cross, and they have no assurance. And then we're getting other people regularly who write us and say, thank God for your ministry and for Yankee and for some of these others. It is through your ministry that I have finally found freedom and assurance in Jesus Christ. This is not a little thing we're talking about. We're talking about the peace that God wants us to have, the assurance he wants us to have. Whatever happened to 1 John 5, 13? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God says you can know it. Calvinism says, literally, Calvinism says, you can't know it. You can't know it unless you die in the faith, which means you have been faithful and you die in fellowship with God. That is Calvinism. How much obedience proves you were saved? You have to die in the faith? Well, 1 Corinthians 11.30 You know the Corinthians, they were carnal Christians, they were saved people, they were saints. It says so in chapter one of 1 Corinthians, verses one through three. And yet they had all kinds of things wrong with their church and with their lives because if it's wrong in the life of the people, it's wrong in the life of the church because people make the church. One man said the church is the people, not the steeple. It's true. Friend, they were being irreverent at the Lord's Supper. Some were coming drunk. They were all kinds of problems. And it says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. God took the lives of some of the Corinthian believers because they were irreverent at the Lord's Supper, okay? He took their lives. You know what that means? That means they were sinning and he, he took them out and yet they were called saints in 1 Corinthians chapter one. The perseverance of the saints is a false teaching. Now, should we as believers live lives holy, acceptable, and pleasing to God? Yes, yes, we should, but that is a choice, just like salvation is a choice. Because there's nothing we could do in God loving us, not wanting one person to be lost, he took on flesh himself, God himself, God the Son, Jesus Christ, When Jesus went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself and he died in our place and he paid our sin debt, not only for those of us who have believed, but also for those who haven't yet believed. Their sins have been paid for. Jesus died, paid for their sins, rose from the grave. And he says this, if you'll put your faith in him, the payment he made will be good on your behalf. In other words, your sins are taken away, they're forgiven, and God gives you his righteousness. He gives you eternal life. 
the moment you trust in Christ. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, the offer is open to you today to be a child of God. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have everlasting life. You can have a home reserved for you in heaven if you'll simply trust Christ. Receive him as your Savior. How? By believing on his name, his name, Jesus, God, who is our Savior. John 1, 12. Is eternal salvation based on God's promises or our perseverance? Dr. Kakuza has written a timely book on this subject entitled Secure Forever. In it, he covers such vital concepts as salvation and its eternal nature, sin in the Christian life, and the true foundation for assurance. For only $10, this book can be yours. Call 320-252-5677 to order your copy of Secure Forever today. This information is too important to put off, so be sure to call today. That number again is 320-252-5677. How has Voice of Assurance impacted your life? Please give us a call at 320-252-5677 to let us know. Or visit our website at northlandchurch.com. Thank you for listening. And be sure to tune in at the same time next week for more clear biblical teaching right here on Voice of Assurance.